0: Well, good morning, friends, and uh, welcome here. As Pastor Wally said, my name is Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at uh, Jericho Ridge. And, uh, uh, just a quick update for that month at a glance in May, you heard me say last weekend that we were going to be hosting a Steve Bell concert in May, and some of you emailed me because you were so excited about that, but just on Monday, Steve's people called and said they're going to have to postpone that until the fall. So we will have a Steve Bell concert here, it just will not be in the month of May. So that's just an update as to what's not on your month at a glance, but we'll let you know details when we have them. Uh, But this morning, we're going to be continuing in our teaching series entitled, This We Believe, Confessing Our Faith. We're going through, in this season, looking at the 18 different articles of faith that we uh, confess as Mennonite brethren here in Canada, and we're exploring what is it that our she has shaped and what are the way in which we express our convictions here within this particular stream of the Christian tradition known as the Mennonite Brethren, uh, and we're a part of the larger stream of Anabaptism. So today, we're going to pick up on week two of a discussion that we started last week. And last week, we started talking about the nature of the church. What is this thing called The church, and how do we express that, and how do we live into that? And so, uh, when we looked at all of the different groupings of descriptors for the church in the New Testament, we said things like the church is a connected people, the church is a group of people who are holy but who are not perfect. And so therefore we need to make allowances for one another. We said that the church is comprised of people who are gifted by the Spirit for acts of service and witness. And that the church is a diverse people. And is comprised of people from various parts of the world with various different convictions about a whole range of things which makes our life together very interesting. And so we looked at that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And today we're going to turn our attention to the second part. And uh, that is the mission of the church, Article Seven. If the church is those things, how are we to function? What does what does that imply for us to do in the world? And it's here that we come across uh, some interesting and helpful observations. So, Anglican biblical scholar Christopher J. H. Wright uh, says it this way: "Quote. It's not so much the case that God has a mission for God's church." in the world, as that God has a church for God's mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. And so I say this to remind us of the fact that just like last week we said the church is God's church, today we say the mission is God's mission for us to choose to participate in. And any actions that we do out in the world would be hopefully a reflection of that sense of what's on God's heart for God's work in God's world. And that's why a lot of different uh, churches have things like the mission statements, right? So this is a way in which they're trying to drive at What do they think they should be doing or we should be doing? Uh, At Jericho, we don't necessarily love or use the language of mission statement. We talk about purpose, and we say our core purpose, if we were to state it, is that we believe that we are cultivating disciples of Jesus who embody God's love everywhere we go. So this is what we understand to be our assignment. And this is really in a response to our, our, a way of expressing our participation in God's mission in the world. Uh, instead of saying, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, we say, well, God has a mission in the world. What does that mean? It means we need to cultivate listening and attentive disciples and discipleship, and we need to embody that mission wherever we go. So we're going to talk about what that means today. And just like the, the roots for The nature of the church. We looked into the New Testament and we looked into Corinthians. Today we're also going to look there and we're going to um, look in a few different places. The most obvious place, if you think about the mission of the church, might be the text that we chose for Easter Sunday, and that's in Matthew chapter 28. And the title uh, for that section is The Great Commission and the great commission is that sense of what does it mean to receive and live into god's mission in the world and in article 6 in our mennonite brethren confession of faith when we look at the great commission this is how we understand it we say quote we believe that the good news of god's salvation in jesus is for all people christ commands the church to make disciples of all nations by calling people to repent and by baptizing and teaching them to obey Jesus. So that is lifted almost verbatim out of the text of Matthew uh, chapter 28. And next weekend... We're going to hear from a friend of Jericho Ridge, uh, Greg Lang. He's preached here before. And Greg works with our denominational mission agency called Multiply. We were up together uh, in Whistler yesterday for our denominational convention. And I was talking to Greg. We were praying for next weekend. And he's excited to come and remind us about the work that we're connected with in sharing God's good news with all peoples. And that's rooted in our conviction that that God's good news and God's love is for all, and it's to make disciples, and that the church exists for this purpose, and that those who are in allegiance, and when we say disciples, just to clarify what we mean, we're talking about those who are following after, who are pledging their allegiance to and wanting to participate in relationship and alignment with Jesus. And so in Matthew 28, this gets expressed as a desire or an invitation to repent, to turn away from things and turn toward things uh, that Jesus would invite us to, and uh, also to be baptized. And so just uh, a a fair warning, looking ahead just beyond May, on the 6th of June, we're going to have uh, a baptism here at Jericho. We have an individual who's expressed they'd like to be baptized. And so maybe you've been thinking about this or mulling this over for a little while and if that's you, then I'd encourage you to uh, approach Pastor Wally or myself. We'd love to hear from you right after the gathering. We're just going to go outside, and we're going to have a big tank out there, and we're going to gather around, pray for, lay hands on people who want to be baptized, celebrate together uh, with them on the 6th of June. So uh, fair warning for that. If you want to participate, then let us know. So we're going to look now at our scripture text uh, for today, which is in 2 Corinthians chapter. 5. And there's many, many places in the scripture that could give us an image or an anchor when we think about the notion of mission. What does it mean to participate in or define God's mission in the world? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to hone in on one of them and we'll see three different expressions of the mission of the church. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 18. Paul's just finished uh, talking uh, about the the wondrous joy of being part of receiving God's gift of new life. And so Paul says uh, in verse 18, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task, an assignment, a mission, of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So not just a task, but a message. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making God's appeal through us. We speak for God when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ, is verse 21. So Paul, in writing to this group of people who lived in the first century in the city of Corinth, is making his case, and he's saying, listen, you have experienced something profoundly transformative in your life. You have been reconciled with God. You've come to be a part of of the experience of being united in community with God's family. And when you have a, a transformative experience, you are more likely to tell other people about it. Last night on our way coming back from Whistler. We were going to go out for dinner. Al Thiessen was with us and Jared driving in the car. And so we went to this particular restaurant. And it was closed because there was a staffing shortage. And as we walked back to our car, disappointed, this lady said to us, Hey, if you drive down a half a block, turn left, go up an alley, there's a burger place there that's phenomenal. Now, it sounded like some kind of secret underground lair but she seemed like she was quite an evangelist for this burger joint she's like best burgers you'll ever eat you know and if you and and so we thought okay well let's let's try it so we went down the alley through massive potholes and and suddenly we could see you know, burger trailer and lots of people, so we thought we've arrived. But, you know, and people are just, oh, this is the greatest burger ever. You'll love it. You'll love it. They were evangelists for their little local burger establishment. It was just wonderful to hear them rave about it. And then afterwards, we had the burgers and we we're like, yeah, that was a pretty good burgers. <laughs> would, would eat again. So, so this is what Paul is saying. He says, you've had a wonderful experience. And the natural thing is, and you want to tell other people about it and you've been united with Christ, you've come to be reconciled with God and with other people, and so now you want to then be about the, the gospelizing or the good news sharing of being ambassadors of this good news that you have heard. And Paul says you've, you've received an assignment to participate then in God's mission. You are on mission. And so... The way that Paul helps us understand this is through the language of being an ambassador. And an ambassador, if we think about it in our context, in a geopolitical context, they kind of have a way in which they're facing in two directions. They're, they're almost like a dual citizen. They're facing in one direction into the country in which they are serving and working, and then they're also facing backward into the country that sent them. And so Paul picks up on this, mesen, this this image, and he says, you are an ambassador of Christ. You're facing toward Christ. You've received all of this wonderful reconciliation and goodness from Jesus, and then you face toward the world in which you live, work, and minister, and serve, and you have a dual responsibility to keep focused on both of those things in your work and to see reconciliation come between those parties in the world. And so this message of being an ambassador, a carrier of news in some way, and specifically, Paul says, we're carriers of the news of reconciliation in the world. And I've only met a few ambassadors in my life. When we were in Tanzania, at one point I had opportunity to meet one of uh, the, the Canadian um, ambassadors to Tanzania, and I said, what's the most difficult thing about your job? And they they gave an answer which I hadn't thought about or considered before it. And he said, the most difficult thing about my job is I don't get to have a personal opinion. To which I thought, I don't, I don't understand. He said, well, my opinion is the opinion of the government of Canada. And so, I cannot express beyond that which is the opinion of the government of Canada. If something has been discussed and decided in the House of Commons in Ottawa, if the government of Canada has thoughts and feelings about something, those are my thoughts and feelings about the particular circumstance in which I live and work. And all of my personal feelings are aside from those things. And the ambassador, he, this person understood their responsibility that they were representatives of their sending agency, but they were also inextricably linked into the country in which they served. They had to pay attention to the needs and ongoing realities of life on the ground in Tanzania and then transmit that back to Ottawa. And so they lived in this world where both of those things were quite important to them. The definition of an, of an ambassador's task is that they represent their sending government in dealings with the receiving governments, including negotiations as required. They promote and clarify the government's interests and policies, and they provide an informed perspective to their own government on policies and interests on the receiving government, and they report on relevant and important developments in the foreign country, end quote. So Paul says picking up on this image, that if you are a part of God's church and God's family, God's mission in the world, you have an assignment. You have been deputized as an ambassador to speak on God's behalf wherever you go. And your message and my message as an ambassador for Christ is shaped by the thoughts, wills, and opinions of Christ. God's message, Paul says, is one of reconciliation, a message of invitation to be made right with God through the work of Christ. And so we use this heading of the Great Commission to help us understand our assignments as ambassadors. So let me ask you a question How are you doing in your role as an ambassador? How are you doing representing the thoughts, will, experiences, and desires of your sending agency and the person who sent you, the message and interest of Christ in your family, in your home, in your workplace? How are you carrying yourself in the spaces in which you go? Are you a good ambassador we're instructed in other places in the New Testament to conduct ourselves so that we do not bring disrepute and we don't need to be recalled as an ambassador from our sending assignments in some way. So mission assignment number one, you and I are dual citizens. We have our, our orientation toward Christ in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and we are citizens of the world in which we live, in which we are to be agents of reconciliation. So we pay attention to the vision, the values, and the voice of the one who sends us, and we are wisely engaged with the needs on the ground in the world and the places in which we live and serve. So that's the Great Commission. The second piece of our mission assignment comes from what we as Christians would call the Great Commandment. So the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And the Great Commandment is to, what would that be? Love God and love our neighbors, love one another, absolutely. It's a great commission and the great commandment. Love God, love others. Jesus teaches, we say this in Article 6, Jesus teaches that disciples are to love God and neighbors by telling the good news and by doing acts of love and compassion. We see this in places like James chapter 1 where James is laying out and saying, listen, if you say that you are representing Christ, and yet you see a need and you don't meet it in some way, you're just talking. And only talking without acting in some way is not fulfilling the great commandment. And so our conviction as Mennonite brethren has always been that we have a dual Assignment, not just a dual citizenship, number one, but secondly, a dual assignment. And that is that we understand the gospel in terms of both evangelism and social concern. We must, without reservation, call people to repentance and reformation of life in Jesus, and we must also live out the social implications of the good news by caring for those in need and proclaiming God's peace and justice in the wider community. And so if you are a part of this particular tradition of the global faith community, the Anabaptist evangelical subgroup that is the Mennonite Brethren, and we've been around for about 170 years only, we have always sought together to fuse into one our words and our deeds when it comes to bearing witness in the world. We are not just those who believe that the gospel means just helping people and being nice, just distributing food, alleviating poverty. We are also not those who believe that it would be acceptable just to preach and give reports on how many people converted to Jesus and not meet the needs of a world in dire needs. One of the implications of the gospel taking root in our hearts is that we will care for people in need. We will participate in God's mission of restoration of all things and redemption and justice and peace in the world. And there's a well-known quote from the founder of the Mennonites, a man named Menno Simons, who said it this way, Quote, true evangelical faith cannot lie dormant. It clothes the naked. It feeds the hungry. It comforts the sorrowful. It shelters the destitute. It serves those who harm it. And it binds up that which is wounded. End quote. True evangelical faith does not lie dormant. Like the book of James says, faith without works, without deeds, is useless. So again in this area, time for some self-reflection and analysis. How are you doing? What are you doing? Not just what you say or post online in your social media, but What are you actually rolling up your sleeves and and getting involved in, in a meaningful way, in a self-sacrificial way, in this dual assignment of not just proclaiming God's good news, but living into those spaces in the world where you are being good news. And we told you last week uh, just about one expression of this and Ian and Kathy Daniels, just to provide a quick update uh, to everyone. They have uh, opened up their home, and beyond just opening up their home, spent time working and investing in relationships that they had pre-existing in Ukraine. And and so that has resulted in being here for us with the very first time this morning, uh, Diana and Irina. So I'm going to ask if you would just stand up. We'd like to welcome you here to Jericho Ridge. I asked if that would be a little bit easier for them than just having to meet all of you individually, uh, and trying to remember all of your names and all of those things. So be gracious and kind to them. Um, they're uh, they're a pastoral family, and uh, they have left a family member behind in Ukraine to continue the work uh, on the ground of serving uh, in that needy place in the world. And so uh, this is just one example of just rolling up your sleeves and getting invested in not just saying, oh, I'd like to help, but actually figuring out, is there a way in which I can actively care for the needs in the world? Uh, and David and, and Marilee have also been engaged with that and are continuing to work on that. And so as we have updates, uh, and we send out a little praise and prayer update this week uh, on email to that. But these are just little little snapshots of the way in which true evangelical faith does not lie dormant and doesn't just talk. It actually gets engaged. It calls us to engage in, And so I just want you to know, Jericho, that when we sit around as a staff as your pastoral team here at Jericho, and we just think about all of the places, both locally and globally, in which there, there is such good work happening in God's world, we, we just want to say we're proud of you. That we just see the, the faithful service that you do in these areas, to live out faith in concrete and practical ways and not just sit around and talk about things. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment that we have received as ambassadors is being lived out here in this place. The church is on mission. You are on mission, and we're so grateful to be a part of that in this day and time. So those are the first two things, the great commission, the great commandment, and then the third thing is the great invitation. To embody God's love everywhere that we go requires that we say yes when God extends an invitation to you and I for partnership. Because in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that God has given us not just a message, but also a task, an assignment. In uh, our article, we say it this way, quote, the Holy Spirit empowers every Christian to witness to God's salvation. The church as a body witnesses to God's reign in the world by its life as a redeemed and separated community. The church reveals God's saving purposes to the world. And so embedded in our understanding of God's mission in the world is this sense of Uh, not just a dual identity or a dual nature, but a dual expression of this particular sense of call. God's mission in the world has a dual expression, and that is God's mission is expressed both individually by you or by me and also corporately. And this is where it gets a little bit challenging sometimes for us because sometimes we can let ourselves off the hook by saying, oh, it's so great. My church is doing awesome things for people in Ukraine, meaning Ian and Kathy are doing some heavy lifting over there, or other people. And so we let ourselves off of the hook because we think other people are really going to do that thing, that corporate expression of that. Or we say things like, oh, it's so great Dell and Joyce have such open and hospitable lives to other people. That means our church is hospitable. Or we say, isn't it great that Marilee and people like Sandy are such great evangelists? And the unspoken part of that sentence is, that means I don't have to do any work because that's not really my gifting in any way. Or we say things like, oh, I'm so glad that Peter Ash is doing such good things over in Zambia last week, or the McCarthy's in Papua New Guinea. And, And some of that can be that sense of, well, if they're doing it, that means I don't have to do it. But the call and the mission is lived out differently for each one of us. And when the call goes out, and when someone in our family is doing something, then we figure out, is it part of my gift, is this the time for me to activate in some way? Even in a small way, to be a participant in that what God is doing. Because sometimes, the other trap, other than excusing ourselves, because a few people are doing heavy lifting, is on the other side of the equation, we can just sit and listen to things and we just think to ourselves. I am a total loser and failure as a Christian. (laughs) Like, look at all of these heavy hitters doing these amazing things for Jesus out on mission in the world, and like, what have I done lately? And you feel guilty, and you think, well, I could never do anything like those people. But this is where the corporate aspect of our life together and our mission comes in, is that each of us has a part to play in the mission that God has called us to collectively and individually. And so, yes, using, let's say, Youth Alpha as an example. Yes, Pastor Jason and the youth are currently going through Youth Alpha. So, yes, the church is doing some work of evangelism in that. But it's also the responsibility of those students in Alpha to pray and ask if God's in activating them to invite a friend to come and participate in that which the church is doing. So that's an example of that sort of dual expression, both the individual and the corporate expression of mission and the part of what we do. And one of the ways that we do this is just understanding that that there are things that happen corporately that, that you all lean into in small ways when you do simple acts, like encouraging other people or contributing to the budget. And in our budget, a concrete example of that is we make a commitment here at Jericho Ridge to say every year, no matter what happens, no less than 10% of our budget is going to be expended outside of the walls of Jericho Ridge on mission. And so when you contribute to uh, giving here at Jericho Ridge, you are contributing to that corporate expression of mission and ministry in the world, the organizations and people that call Jericho Ridge home that express and live that out, whether it's our supported missionaries or agencies or the larger church as a whole. And so you are a part of God's mission in the world, both individually and then collectively, all of us together. So let's just pause for a moment and reflect and Respond. And one of the questions that I'd ask for you to reflect on is what part of mission comes most easily for you? Some people find it very easy to activate in in concrete service. If there's a need to be met, they jump in and they're the first ones to heed that call. They find that a very natural and easy part of the way in which they live that out. Other people find it, it that they have diffs in different areas. What part of mission comes easy for you? And then the flip side of that is just to ask the question, what part of mission are you least drawn toward? And you find most challenging for you? And ask the question, why? And maybe you do some praying and journaling on that this week. Why do you feel the way that you do? Why do you feel drawn toward one aspect and not other aspects? And maybe it's because God's wired you up in a certain way. You have certain gifts, talents, and abilities. And, and I want us to consider and ask the question, what is the long-term implications of living out mission in the way that you are living it out currently. One of the challenges that I think we're in, in this moment in time, is just the sense of general fatigue. And, and so it's very easy for to just think, oh, I don't even know what in the world I would do to think about getting involved in mission. I just feel overwhelmed in my life. I feel challenged on so many fronts. And so it can be easy for us to tell ourselves I'm just going to sit back and wait till I have a little more capacity, a little more gas in the tank before I engage in some area of mission and ministry. And some of the things I think over the last two years that we've lost is we've just lost uh, some, of our, some of our muscles in the area of mission have atrophied because we haven't had opportunities in the same way that we have previously to get on a plane and go to Guatemala or Tanzania or other places. And so maybe for you, as you begin to think into this next season, you try and think, what is an area in my life of mission that's atrophied that I want to try and strengthen? And maybe there's one concrete action of mission implementation that you would commit to this May. Maybe it's, you know, I've gotten just out of the habit of serving others. And so you want to find a way or a place or an organization to plug into in some way. And if we can help with that and make any connections for you around your area of passion, we'd love to do that. We don't just consider those opportunities ones that Jericho provides, but if there's opportunities that we put on the table and you'd like to engage with, we would welcome you to do that. For me, when I thought about this question, I thought specifically about one of the areas that's atrophied for me is just neighborhood conversations. Over the last two years, it's just been harder to have conversations out and about with people as I walk the dog or as I sit on the front porch. And so I'm asking God to just reactivate some of those muscles in my own life and in my own neighborhood and just be a person who is available for conversations. And then as spiritual conversations come up, as there's opportunities that we find out about things in the life of our neighbors, areas of need, that then we can activate into those again in some way. And so I'm asking God to just give me a new boldness in mission locally in our neighborhood over the course of this summer. What are you asking God for? What is an area of mission implementation that you want to commit to this May? The Worship and Song team is coming, and I want to finish our teaching time by sharing a story that I first told uh, in the first months of the church at Jericho Ridge when we started in 2005 back up in the high school cafeteria in R.E. Mountain. And some of you were there uh, 17 years ago in that time. And, and it's a story from history. It's a story of uh, the Titanic. In our family, we have several birthdays in April, and we mark them all by massive disasters in history. <laughs> My birthday happens on the April the 26th, which was the date of Chernobyl, my father's birthday is on 14th of April, which was the date of the Titanic. So in 1912, the Titanic was on its maiden voyage, steaming through the frigid North Atlantic. And some two hours and 40 minutes after striking an iceberg, the Titanic plunged 12,000 feet to the floor of the sea. And, And in that time, 20 lifeboats and rafts were launched in the dead of night. Far too few of them were only partially filled and most of the passengers ended up struggling in the icy seas while those in the boats waited safe distances away. And of those 20 lifeboats that were launched, only one lifeboat went back to the scene after the ship had sunk beneath the waves. And alone in the ocean, lifeboat number 14 and the people in it rowed back and forth and back and forth, chasing the cries in the darkness, seeking and saving a precious few people. And incredibly, even seeing that boat row back, none other boats joined them. When people were interviewed later, some said their boat was already overloaded, but virtually every other boat rowed half-filled aimlessly into the night, listening to the cries of the lost, fearing that they would be crushed by an unknown tidal wave of swimmers clinging to their craft. Imagine being a survivor of the Titanic. For the rest of your life, you're asked about that night, and you have to recount the dreadful day, and finally the question comes, well, what did you do? What did your lifeboat do? Imagine having to say, well, we did nothing. We stayed a safe distance away because it was pretty messy over there. Friends, at Jericho Ridge, as those who have said yes to participate in God's mission in the world, we are among those who choose to participate in God's rescue mission to save lives. Our calling is clear. This place is going to be lifeboat number 14. We have been rescued and saved. And now it's our turn. It's our responsibility. We need to provide room in the lifeboats. And friends, we've got room in our lifeboats for the hurting and for the broken, for the people in your life and in mine who do not yet know Jesus. And it is our mission to hold out hope and to hold out truth to those who are lost because that is what God has intended his church to be and what he intends for us to do. We are to be lifeboat number 14. We are to rescue the perishing, to care for the dying because Jesus is merciful and Jesus will save. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, merciful God and Jesus, gracious and empowering Holy Spirit, you have given your church an assignment. And in our day and in our time, it's a complex one. But, Father, we want to be those who say yes to that. We want to be those who see the needs in the world, who see those who are lost and row towards them with the hope and the message of Jesus. Would you strengthen and empower us for that work? Would you give us great creativity and resources Would you gift us by your spirit with eyes to see, ears to hear, and hands to help in both practical ways, in words, and in deed. A world that's in need. And so we ask for your strengthening work in us and through us, that your mission in the world, the great commission, the great command, and the great invitation would be fulfilled in our day and in our time. We want to be those who are faithful and who are called. Thank you. Amen.